let's talk about what practice is. Practice is the ongoing, never-ending pursuit of a worthy value or virtue. And the one word that I would maybe add to that is that practice is the ongoing, never-ending, daily pursuit of a worthy value or virtue. You are the product of the things that you do every single day. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. And we're in part two of a two-part series on the topic of presence, And I think the topic of presence is one that is often overlooked and undervalued in the life of a leader because so often we ignore the power of presence because we're so focused on planning, right? And we think about strategic planning and vision planning, and we think about what we're doing in the future to such a degree that we end up missing out on what is actually going on here, today, now, in the present. And if that is something you struggle with and something you're challenged by, number one, I would tell you, go listen to that first episode that we did, because a lot of what we did there was lay the foundation for why this is a topic that is valuable and important for you to focus on as a leader. But then we also highlighted and identified and tried to undermine some of the mindsets behind why we don't focus our time and attention on this topic of presence, because really... The topic of presence is a conversation about one of the most valuable things you can give as a leader. It's your attention. I think so often we understand that, oh, it's no longer money that's valuable, it's time that's valuable because you can make more money but you can't make more time. But I would say just because you're giving someone or something your time doesn't mean you're giving it your attention. And therefore, one of the most powerful things that you can offer, that you can give, that you can be generous as a leader with is your attention. And that idea worked its way into our definition of presence because what we said in the previous episode was that to be present as a leader is to express gratitude with your attention in such a way that others feel compelled to do the same. What does it look like for you to express gratitude with your attention? What does it look like for you to give so much attention to what's going on right now in the moment that you are in that it almost creates a sense of gratitude in you and others? Well, I'll tell you, one of the immediate effects of that that will happen is what I think of as the overflow effect. If you are someone that is deeply and profoundly committed to expressing gratitude with your attention, so you are incredibly present, well, the overflow of that is going to influence others. And that's really what leadership is. And so other people are going to find themselves being attracted to this idea and topic and arena of presence. And so that's the definition we operated with. And what we're going to talk about today is not just the power of presence, like we talked about in episode one, because we laid the foundation for why it's powerful. And now what I want to highlight is how do we practice it? We say all the time that what we do at Path for Growth, regardless of whether it's in the arena of team trainings or one-on-one coaching or growth groups or here on the podcast or in the workshops that we teach online, what we do is we help impact-driven leaders practice healthy growth. 
And I think that inherent in the idea of practicing healthy growth, we've got to be people that are attentive to practicing presence. We need to become students of being present. And I have just started to fall in love with that idea and word and mindset practice. It, it was really clarified for me recently whenever um, I came back from playing spike ball with some friends of mine and I came back and quite frankly, I was a little bit frustrated. And I had won a couple games, but I'd also lost a couple games. But more than that, I was more frustrated with my friend. I was I was frustrated with my buddy Paul, that is just an incredible, he's an incredible person, quite frankly, but he's also an incredible spike ball player. But here's the thing about Paul that I've started to recognize is we started playing spike ball a lot about a year ago now. And one of the things that I would say was true at that time was Paul and I were both decent at spike ball. And I got to a level where I was decent, right? I was, I was not a world beater by any means. I'm not the guys you see on ESPN2 now, but I was decent, right? And if you're not familiar with what spike ball is, it's hitting this ball into a net and you've got four players and it's just an absolute blast of a game. But we would play and I was decent and I would say Paul was also decent. Now, here's the difference between the two of us is I remain decent, Today, I am about the same spike ball player with maybe a few less mistakes per game than I was a year ago. Paul, that is not the case at all, right? Paul, it gets better literally every single time and he's constantly trying new things and he's got these new serves and he's hitting backspins and he's hitting, he's jumping over the net and hitting it into the net. He's hitting between his legs and he's constantly getting better. He's constantly improving. And it's gotten to the point where it's like, I, I to a degree, I can't compete with the guy anymore. And this is why I was outrageously frustrated because I'm a very competitive person and I'm an emotionally competitive person. Some people say, you just got to not let it get to you. I don't know how to do that. It's going to get to me. And I guarantee it's going to get to me. And so I get all worked up and I get frustrated. And that means that I play worse. And so it just, it becomes this tornado of just competitive emotion that doesn't make me any better. And so I was frustrated at the end of this match that we played. And I was talking to Paul about it. And I just said, man, I just don't get it. I, I said, you just consistently get better. And I feel as though I've plateaued. And the conversation was so powerful that happened after that because it's come to change the way that I look at spike ball, of course, but it's transcended spike ball and changed the way that I look at business and certainly changed the way that I look at growth. Because what Paul said was so powerful is he said, Alex, I, I know why. And I said, well, please share, man. Like, please share. Why have you gotten better? And why have I stayed relatively stagnant, relatively the same? And he said, Alex, you treat every game like a game. I treat every game like practice. Think about that for a second. Because it was in that moment that he said, I treat every game like practice, that so many light bulbs went off in my head. Because I realized he was exactly right. I treat every game like a game. And if every game is truly a game that I have to win because that's why I'm here and I can't lose, then if I can't lose, I can't possibly fail, then I also can't make mistakes. And because I can't make mistakes, well, then I can never try anything new. 
because this is a game. I've got to win the game. But here's the thing is I was treating everything like a game and I was never treating anything like practice because I don't go out to practice spike ball. I go out to play spike ball, right? And so we would play. I would treat it like a game. I would never try anything new. I would never take risks. I would never strive to learn a, a new technique or a new move or try to improve my serve or try to be a little bit more risky with how I hit the ball. I would never try to move to a different side of the net to play defense in a different format or a different way because it's a game. And if it's a game that I have to win that I can't risk making a mistake on this point. Now, compare that flawed mindset with Paul's mindset. He would say, this isn't a game. This is just practice. And so every single day, he's trying something new. And he's mixing in with the new things that he's trying, the things that are tried and true, the things that he's good at. But he's constantly learning. He's constantly growing. He's constantly improving. He's constantly adding new things to his repertoire. And as a result, he's constantly making mistakes. But you know what? He'd make three mistakes trying to hit it between his legs. And then on the fourth one, you know what he'd do? He would get it. And you know what I was unable to do? I was unable to return it. And it was such a powerful moment to recognize that everything changes when you start to treat the moment like practice. Because practice is not simply an action. Practice is a mindset. And so what I want to talk to you about just before we get into the practice of presence, because we're going to get really tactical here in just a second, I want to talk to you about the three mindsets that are essential to practice effectively, whether you're practicing healthy growth holistically or whether you're practicing presence like what we're talking about today. Number one, the thing that's always true about practice that's not true about a game is that it's not a destination, Practice is not a destination. It's a daily deposit. It's just doing the next right thing. And it's not this grand summit of the mountain. It's simply the next mile marker. So practice is rooted in the idea that I'm not working towards a destination. I'm just trying to do the next right thing. What else is practice? Well, it's not a linear process. We just described it with Paul. Practice is ridden with mistakes. And if it's not ridden with mistakes, then you're not taking any risks. And if you're not taking any risks, you're not learning anything new. Therefore, if you're going to practice healthy growth, or certainly if you're going to practice presence, well, it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be mistake ridden. We're talking now about mistake ridden progress, the type of progress that looks messy, the type of progress that is scarred, the type of progress that has some flubs and has some faults and has some failures, but the type of progress that is rooted in learning and never-ending improvement. And then what else is practice not? Well, we said it's not a destination. It's also not a linear progress because it's mistake-ridden. And then we said it's not a celebrated activity. The world celebrates the game. The world celebrates the destination. The world celebrates the summit. The world does not celebrate practice. We're just now entering into college football season and the NFL season. And, you know, in, in the spring, they had the spring game. And essentially what the spring game is, spring practice, you know. And I'm a huge Texas football fan, just like every God-fearing man and woman is, right? And so I love the University of Texas, right? And, and, and they open up the spring game and they say, everyone come to the spring game. What, what it really is is spring practice, right? And they, they open it up and you can come view spring practice and you can come see the players and everything. You know what? Not many people show up. 
Why? Because practice is not a really celebrated activity. We want to see the game. We want to see with all the lights. And what I want you to know is the results that everyone wants come from the practices that nobody celebrates. Put it another way, the results that everyone wants comes from the practice that no one even sees. And so we need to recognize that if we're opting to practice presence or if we're opting in to practice healthy growth, it's not going to be a destination. It's never ending. It's also not going to be a linear process. It's going to be mistake ridden. And it's also not going to be a celebrated activity, right? People aren't going to cheer because you had a great day of practice, but that means that we have to change our currency of success. And so we've said what practice is not. Before we jump into the 10 actions to practice presence, let's talk about what practice is. Practice is the ongoing, never-ending pursuit of a worthy value or virtue. And the one word that I would maybe add to that is that practice is the ongoing, never-ending, daily pursuit of a worthy value or virtue. You are the product of the things that you do every single day. And the things that you do daily create the person, the man, the woman, the leader that you become permanently. That's because they create the person that people remember. And so recognize that this is not a conversation about extravagancy. This is a conversation about consistency. We're talking about practice. And it's looking through that lens and operating with that mindset that I just want to walk through with you 10 actions, 10 actions that have helped me and also helped the leaders that we work with practice presence. And so we're going to walk through 10 actions. And what I want to prepare you with is that these are not going to be grand actions because these are things that I want you to be able to do regularly, routinely, and repeatedly. So we're going to walk through 10 actions that truly I have found in my life and in the lives of the people that I work with make me and others into a more present person and a more present leader. Number one, prepare for presence in the evening. I think so often we talk about the idea on this podcast that you never have to recover from a strong start. And we use that line to talk about your morning routine as a leader. And you know this, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, I'm a huge proponent of having an effective and consistent morning routine because as goes your morning, so goes your day. But here's the other thing that I've learned. As goes your evening, so goes your morning. And so one of the things that we can all be intentional about is preparing for presence in the morning and in the following day by being intentional in our evening. And what I will tell you is that this doesn't necessarily need to be some grand routine that takes an hour to complete. It can be as simple as making sure you look at your calendar for the next day before you go to bed, maybe even write down your three priorities for the next day. Make sure that your phone is off for at least an hour before you go to bed, or at least your, your eyes are off your phone screen before you go to bed. And to the degree that you are able with the constraints that you've been given, you have a relatively consistent bedtime. 
Those are all things that you can do in your evening that will contribute to making you a more healthy and more present person in the morning and therefore for the rest of the day. So action one was prepare for presence in the evening. What does it look like to introduce some order and routine and rhythm into your evening? Action number two, we've already talked about this. We're going to maximize our morning. Sometimes I think the topic of morning routine can be really overwhelming for people. And especially if you're coming from a place of having no routine in your morning, the last thing you need to do is talk to someone who's been doing their morning routine for three years now and say, oh my gosh, I need to be doing that. No, that's not what you need to be doing. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to establish the required amount of consistency necessary to start the day right. And so what I would tell you that involves is number one, waking up at a relatively consistent time. And folks, let's eliminate the snooze button. And I can say this right now because I'm operating from a posture of strength. I'm living in alignment with this right now, and I'm so grateful for that. But I mean, if you looked at me four weeks ago, I was not living in alignment with that. So this is something that I constantly have to struggle and wrestle with. But right now I'm in this sweet spot where I'm not hitting snooze in the morning, and I'm so grateful for it because it changes my mindset whenever I'm not starting the day by delaying it. Think about that for a second. When you hit the snooze button, you are literally starting your day with procrastination. So set your alarm for a time that gives you a reasonable amount of sleep and then commit to it. Don't start your day with delay. And so we're going to commit to not hitting the snooze button. We're going to commit to waking up at a relatively consistent time. We're going to commit to doing something that aligns your mind, body, and soul with truth that gives you positivity, whether that's you saying a Bible verse or engaging with a personal mission statement or reading scripture or having a conversation with someone or journaling your prayers. We're going to start something that inspires you towards forward motion. And then you're going to do one more thing. You're going to establish a pattern of eating consistent, healthy food and water in the morning. I, we live in this world that values variety in food, and, and I think variety is a great thing, but variety in food, it does not happen for me in the morning. I have water, like 32 ounces first thing. I have coffee, like way too much. And then the other thing I have is oatmeal with almond milk and honey every single morning. And that is one of the areas where order helps me to engage with other things that are out of order or challenging. The only time that changes is when I'm traveling somewhere that it's too short a trip to go buy oatmeal. So I literally buy an RX bar or a protein bar. But what I want to challenge you to do is establish consistency and health with regard to your breakfast and make sure that you're drinking water associated with it. These are things that you can do that will set your tone for the day. And what I would tell you is that you will allow yourself to enter enter into the day with presence because you've laid a firm foundation. Think about how different it looks for you to wake up at a consistent time that gives you margin for you to fill your mind, body, and soul with information that is inspiring and engaging, 
and then to eat something that is consistent and healthy and drink water. Think about how much more prepared you are to engage with life versus someone that wakes up, hits snooze three times, rushes into the shower, tries to get their hair in order on the way to work, drinks coffee, sucks it down on the way to work, and then is literally not responding to the day, but is reacting to the day with their hair on fire maximize your morning. It doesn't have to be a massive extravagant action, but it does need to be something that gives you margin, that gives you focus and gives you the ability to enter the day as a leader and not as a reactor. Okay. So number one was prepare for presence in the evening. That gives us the ability to engage with action number two, which is maximize your morning. If you want to listen to more on that, we literally did a whole podcast episode titled by that exact uh, statement, maximize your morning. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. Number three, don't look at your phone for the first hour of the day. This is something that every single time I apply myself to this routine or habit or rhythm, it makes me a more present person. And it's crazy. I wish I could describe to you the brain science behind it, but I can't. But whenever I choose to not look at my phone for the first hour of the day, it changes the tone and mindset associated with the rest of my day. My conversations are richer. My pace is more centered. My focus is more deliberate. I'm not constantly distracted by social media or text messages. It changes everything. And I don't know why that is. I honestly can't tell you why that is. But what I know is that it's true. And what I also know is that I've talked to friends and I've also talked to other leaders who have established this practice of not looking at their phone for the first hour of the day. And it's done the exact same thing for them. So what would it look like for you to not look at your phone for the first hour of the day? And if that's hard for you to do, that's probably the greatest sign that you need to do it. That's number three. Okay, let's go to number four. And this is a big one. Somewhere throughout your day, I want you to establish a rhythm of having 10 minutes of closed eye silence. And here's what I mean. I typically do this in the morning, but sometimes if I miss it in the morning, I will do it later in the day. But my goal is to always have it somewhere in my day where I set a timer on my phone or I set a timer on uh, my watch or something else and for 10 minutes and I close my eyes for that 10 minutes and I just breathe. And I cannot tell you how helpful it is with this topic of presence. Because I think as we go throughout our days, and even as we go into our sleep and then wake up, our minds and bodies and souls, they get wound up, right? And when things get wound up, they get really tight, they get really tense, and they have a lot of energy in them, right? And we need somewhere to release that energy. And for me, that occurs in this 10 minutes of silence where uh, the first thing I do is set the timer. The second thing I do is close my eyes. And then typically for about the first minute or so, I'll just do square breathing, which is in for four, hold for four, out for four, hold for four. That's what we're talking about, square breathing. And I typically do that for about a minute, but that'll change, that'll shift. And then I just allow my mind to rest and be focused and be centered. 
a lot of times my mind will end up landing on the scripture that I just read maybe that morning, or it'll find its way to a business thing that is clearly causing me stress and anxiety. And I have some time to sit and think about that in a way that is measured and centered instead of a, a way that is fragile, feeble, scattered, and weak. And I would way rather come at my anxieties and problems from a posture of being centered than from a posture of being scattered. And so we're literally in that 10 minutes practicing presence. We're not going to be thinking about things that we could be doing in the future. We're going to be thinking about the things that are real right now. It demands that you be aware and here's the deal, because we've been testing this with some of the leaders within the Path for Growth membership, and we've been challenging them, 10 minutes of silence a day. And what's crazy is that the number of people that have said, oh man, I've had to shorten it to seven, or I've had to shorten it to six, or I've had to shorten it to five. And I get it. I, I totally understand because it's it's been a real challenge for me too to establish. But I will tell you, think about how crazy that is for a second. The fact that 10 minutes of silence is so incredibly difficult. And maybe that's the greatest evidence that it's so incredibly necessary. Because a lot of times we have this capacity as leaders to allow problems to uh, exist to such a degree that they become overwhelming whenever we could have attacked them or addressed them when they were actually remarkably small. One of the ideas that I really believe is that most problems announce themselves before they arrive, right? Uh, sometimes in my car, like I know, <laughs> man, this check engine light's about to come on because I've heard this clicking, I've heard this clacking, right? But I just say, oh, it'll get better. I convince myself that I don't hear anything. And then sure enough, check engine light comes on, it's it, right? And it's because most problems announce themselves before they arrive. And that 10 minutes of silence for me gives me time to say what's actually going on right now that I should be attending to. Let me be present with what is real right now. So we said 10 minutes of silence is the next action. The next action is something specifically related to human connection that will make you someone that is remarkably present. Um, it's that I want you to make direct eye contact. One of the things that I've learned uh, in the past two years is that oftentimes when people say they're making eye contact, they're either looking actually directly above the eyes or they're looking generally at someone's face, which certainly that's good, but I guarantee you it's not best because people experience whenever you make direct eye contact with them and you also experience this. But what took it over the edge for me was whenever I read something that said that when you make eye contact, don't just think about the fact that you're looking into someone's eyes. Think about the fact that you're looking at a human being that has a soul. And think about the fact that you also have a soul. And it's this part of you that we often don't talk about, but it's this part of you that's incredibly real because your body is not who you are. I, uh, this was a crazy quote. I, I don't know who said this, but it was a quote that I, I heard and I was like, oh my gosh, that's just mind blowing. Your body is not who you are. You just live there. I love that quote because it hints at this universal idea that we all know to be true, that you have a soul. The person sitting across the table from you has a soul. And whenever you look into their eyes and think about the fact that you're not just talking at a 
body. You're not just talking to a person. You're talking to a soul and listening to a soul. You know what happens? You can't have that realization and really internalize that realization and not be more present almost instantaneously. It's a pretty powerful practice. And so I want you to make direct eye contact with people. Don't be weird about it, right? You, you want to do proper mirroring and don't just stare at them. We're not talking about a staring contest. But then I also want you to reflect on the fact that this person sitting across from me has a soul because when you do that, you elevate your level of thinking as a leader. Whether you're talking to a family member, whether you're talking to a team member, whether you're talking to a vendor, or whether you're talking to a stranger, you elevate your level of emotional awareness and thinking whenever you're sitting across from someone that has a soul. Why? Because that's real. You're operating in the realm of reality, and perhaps that's more real than anything you've ever done before. And so we need to make eye contact and focus on the fact that we're looking at someone that has a soul. The next one is also related to this topic of human connection because so often we practice presence in the arena of human connection. I want you to take your phone off the table. Uh, I read an article and I tried to find it for this, but I couldn't find it. It was years ago that I read it, but this this kind of anecdote or or data stuck with me. It essentially said that if you are having a conversation with someone, the chances of them being open and vulnerable and transparent dramatically decrease if you leave your phone on the table versus take it off the table. <laughs> That's pretty powerful. And it's also pretty true. I mean, like I, I get it, right? Because if you put your phone on the table and I'm talking to you, I know that there's a chance I could open up and then you could leave in the middle of it or you could attend to something else in the middle of it. Here's the deal. Have the conversation. Commit to the person that's in front of you. Be where your feet are. And if your watch or your phone are keeping you from attending to and engaging with and being present with the person across from you, put them away. Or if they could even send the signal that you might not be fully present, put them away. This is going to mess up a lot of our schedules because a lot of our schedules revolve around the idea that, oh, I need to be in conversations with people while simultaneously checking my text messages on my watch and simultaneously making phone calls every 30 minutes. And you know what? I'm completely okay with messing with your schedule. Because if what I'm advising right now isn't practical, then we need to rethink practical. Because I think that we have an obligation as leaders to be present with the people that are directly in front of us. And if we can't do that, then we shouldn't be with the people directly in front of us. We should be somewhere else. We should be doing the thing that we actually want to be doing or we, we feel like we should be doing, right? I mean, what is more important? And if there's an answer to that that's true, then you should go attend to that thing. But if it, more often than not, when I uh, kind of convict myself with this realization, I have to recognize that nothing on my phone could possibly be more important than the person sitting across from me uh, at the table right now. And so I need to attend to this. Now, it requires that I be intentional with who I'm sitting across the table with. It requires that I be intentional with my schedule. It requires that I do all the things that we've already talked about. But take your phone off the table and more than that, choose to be at the table that you're sitting at. Choose to be where your feet are. Let's go one step further. Choose to be where your soul is. Your soul is there. The question is, are you? 
Think about that because that's at the heart of presence. Presence is not just where your body is. Presence is where your mind, spirit, and soul are. So take your phone off the table. Uh, the next thing that helps at, with us practicing presence is scheduling deck time. Now, I wouldn't call it deck time, but my counselor actually called it deck time because he says that it's valuable for us to have time where we get on the deck of our life, right? Where we get up high so that we can look down at everything that's going on and we can address the things that need to be addressed. But I think so often we don't do this. We just stay down on the first floor and we're constantly just addressing things that show up as they show up, right? For me, a lot of times this represents me scheduling an hour to get above things to think about my social life and my financial life and to think about um, the big picture things with regard to my family and things like that that aren't just my job, my work, and my business, and our team, quite frankly, uh, because that's where my mind naturally goes. And if I don't spend deck time thinking about the big picture of these other things that are really, really, really important, then I find myself just reacting to them, right? So that inhibits my ability to be present because those things are constantly running in my mind as things that are unaddressed, as things that are open loops. And one of the things that I've learned in the, in the year and a half of building this business is if I have too many open loops, I cannot be a present leader. If you have too many unaddressed questions or open loops in your mind, you will not be able to be a present leader. You will not be able to be present in the situation that you're in. So deck time is time that we set aside to know what we can know. And it looks like me looking over my budget for my personal finances. It looks like me saying I should probably run and get some groceries because right now I'm eating out a lot because I haven't gone to the grocery store legitimately in a week and a half, right? It looks like me saying, okay, I probably need to plan to change the oil on my truck here soon, right? That's what we're talking about. It's, it's just getting the bird's eye view of all these things that if, if you don't address them, you're going to have to react to them. So schedule some deck time. Maybe you do it on a monthly basis. Maybe you do it on a weekly basis. If you've got a lot of open loops right now and just start taking care of those things now. So you're not having to react to them in the moment because that will keep you from being present. Number eight is beware frenzy. And, and I, I, that word beware is very intentional because it's be aware, right? I, I, I don't know why, but I've picked up using the phrase pay attention a lot. And whenever I use the word pay attention, I, I use it with like the most uh, I, memorable tone. I always say pay attention, right? That, that's what I always sticks in my head. And I think I heard someone, I think it was my grandma once said it this way. She said, pay attention, right? And, and so I think I picked up on that, but I, I love it because it reminds me that I am so capable of not paying attention. I'm so capable of not being aware. So you need to beware, pay attention to frenzy. Because sometimes I can get so worked up and run around like my hair's on fire. I can be in a frenzy. I can be frantic and I'm not even aware of it. And if I am in a state of frenzy that I'm not aware of, there's no way that I'm present. Frenziness and presence cannot coexist. It will not happen. And so 
What we need to do is we need to keep our thumb on the pulse of frenzy because frenzy is a choice. And we need to choose not to engage. And when we start to feel our heart rate start to rise, whenever we start to feel our chest getting really tense, whenever we start to our, to feel our mind spinning in a billion different directions of all the things that could be done, should be done, need to be done, whenever we start making lists in our head about all the things that we're going to have to do moving forward, and we spend so many times making those lists that we're not attending to the one thing that we could be doing in front of us, we need to pay attention because that's what frenzy feels like. And what I want you to know and what I want you to recognize is that in states of overwhelm, your frenzy is not helpful. Your presence is helpful, especially when we're talking about your team. If things are crazy around your business, your team does not need a leader that is frenzied and frantic. Your team needs a leader that is present, centered, and focused. So that looks a lot like saying, if I start to feel frenzy coming on, I'm gonna take 10 minutes and I'm just gonna take a deep breath and I'm gonna bring it down to where I can actually be present. Are you able to be in the situation and deal with the situation that is in front of you? And if not, you might be operating in frenzy and you need to be aware of that. Okay, let's move to number nine. We've got two more to go. Uh, number nine is one that I've just experienced a lot of lately is, is do hard workouts. Um, I do this workout. We've talked about it on this podcast before with the Brian Miles episode. Brian, the founder of Belay, he taught this to me and I've just I, I've started doing it once a week because it's so helpful for me mentally. It's called a 1500 and we'll put the link to that that episode in the show notes of this podcast. But it's a really hard workout and it's a really hard workout that requires you be constantly moving. And here's what I've noticed in doing that workout is I, many of you know, I'm a runner, right? And so I like distance running. And one of the things that I know to be true about distance running is I, I have a lot of thoughts, right? And it is time that I start fleshing through my thoughts and, and diving deeper into thoughts and checking my thoughts and questioning my thoughts. And it's very introspective time. And the thing that I love about the hard workout that is the 1500, or maybe it's a sprint interval workout, or it's just something that it's like, you're moving hard, you're moving fast, it's anaerobic, you're out of breath, your heart is pumping. You know what I'm talking about, right? And it's different for every person, but I don't have time to think when I'm doing that, right? I'm just thinking about how much more on the thing that I'm currently doing and what's next and how do I get that done as fast as possible? And it's one of those workouts that I'll look up after 30 minutes and I'll realize I didn't have an original thought that entire time. And then one of the things that I also realize is that in the hour and a half following that workout, I have my best, most focused, most present thinking time I've ever had. And it's because we allow ourselves to engage physically with the world in a way that's strenuous to such a degree that we are mentally, literally able not to engage. And, and we take our over-analytical minds and turn them off for a second and simply focus on that task at hand. We practice presence, and then we start to build that muscle for later in the day. And that's what I want for all of you. So, I mean, I guarantee you, and I know there's brain science behind this. I know that there's physical science behind this, but I can just give you the anecdotal science behind this. And it's just my story of like, I am so much more effective after I do a really stinking hard workout. 
And so I dare you. I don't care if this is something that you normally do. I don't care if it's something you've never done. We had one of our uh, Path for Growth members the other day come on to an office hours call, and his highlighter win from the week was that he went on his first ever run. And I just was so thrilled. And yes, I'm thrilled that he's running. But more than that, I'm thrilled for the benefits that he's going to experience from the fact that he's engaging his body physically in ways that make him uncomfortable. I'm so thrilled about that because that represents healthy growth. And I guarantee you it will make him a more present person. So do a really hard workout. Push yourself. Go for it. This is your kick in the tail that you need if you've been sitting on the couch because your passivity is not going to cause your growth. Okay? So do something that demands you be present and that wakes you up because passivity and presence are not the same thing. Okay, and then let's move to the final one and then we'll review. The final one is that we're going to write what we're grateful for. And you know this, there's so much brain science associated with the idea of gratitude not being able to coexist with anxiety or stress. And when we recognize what we're grateful for, well, we can't be grateful for things that haven't occurred yet, right? We're grateful for the things that are happening right now. And yes, we can be grateful for things that have happened in the past, but I would challenge you just as much as you do that, challenge yourself to look around right now and ask, what am I grateful for today? Because in the process of being grateful for today, what will you want to do? You will want to give your attention to today. Truly, when I sit down and I just think about like the incredible blessings that have been made available to myself and all of you today, I just want to give my all to it. When I sit down and I say, oh my gosh, thank God that we have a team of people that thinks that we should have a podcast to such a degree that they devote their time and energy to it, that I have the opportunity to create and share content that has helped me in my life and now I get to share it with others and teach them how, how to act upon it and how to engage with it in their own life. And then we have people that are listening to it. When I spend a minute focusing on that, internalizing it, the podcast is so much better. And you know why the podcast is so much better? It's because it demands my presence then. Because it's something that I no longer take for granted. It's no longer something that I'm entitled to. It's no longer something our business is entitled to. It's something that I and our business should be outrageously grateful for. And the same is true for you and the things that you're doing day to day, whether it's your work, whether it's your relationships, whether it's your finances. What are the things that you're grateful for today? Because if you really focus on internalizing your gratitude for those things, you can't help but be present with them. You can't help but want to spend your time with them. You can't help but want to be generous with your attention towards them. And it will make all of the other nine actions so much easier. So let's review real quick. We said that we want to practice presence as leaders. And the things that we need to remember with practice is the idea that it's the ongoing, never-ending, daily pursuit of a worthy value or virtue. And so practice is something that is tied to not a destination, but it's tied to a value or virtue. And the value or virtue that we were discussing today is presence. And so we're going to practice presence. And how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to prepare for presence in the evening. 
because as goes your evening, so goes your morning, and as goes your morning, so goes your day. And then we're gonna maximize your morning. We're gonna establish habits and rhythms and routines in your morning that you can depend on that introduce order, that set the tone and give you the margin necessary to be a present person and a present leader. Then we're gonna choose to not look at our phone for the first hour of the day because that sets our mind in reaction mode if we instantly look at our email or social media or text messages whenever we want to be in creation mode in the morning. Number four, 10 minutes of silence to make sure that we're being aware of what's actually real in our lives and that we're attending to our soul. Number five was also related to the soul because we're going to make direct eye contact with the people sitting across from us. We're going to look them in the eye and we're going to recognize that we're not just looking at a body. We're not just looking at a person. We're looking at a soul. We're talking to a soul. We're listening to a soul and that's going to change our attitude. That's going to change our demeanor. That's going to change our countenance and our connection in that conversation. Number six, we're gonna take our phone off the table because everything communicates. And when we set our phone on the table, we're communicating that our attention is not fully there. Number seven, we're gonna schedule deck time where we get above the day-to-day to address the open loops in our life. Number eight, we're gonna be aware of frenzy. We're gonna pay attention, right, for times when we get frantic because we can't be frantic and present at the same time. Number nine was a very practical one. We're going to do hard workouts that demand we give all of our mental attention and energy to that thing because that's going to stretch our mind and make it able to do that. Number one, it's going to give us the ability to apply that level of intensity to a specific task or project. We're going to become accustomed to that. We're going to exercise that muscle, but also it's going to give us the downtime that we need if we are someone that tends to overthink things because a really hard workout will not allow you to overthink. And then number 10, we're gonna write what we're grateful for. And maybe this is a practice of doing that once a day. Three things that you're grateful for once a day and really don't just do it, internalize it. Say, what am I grateful for and why am I grateful for it? Those are actions that honestly, if you started doing one of those and you started doing it every single day, it would make you into a more present person. I deeply believe that. And the reason why I believe that is because these are all actions that I'm currently practicing, right? I'm not telling you anything just as advice that I'm sitting on the sidelines as a spectator doing. I wrote this list based on what are the things that I have done in my life and observed others do that have made me and others into a more present person, a more present man, a more present leader, and a more present Christ follower. And this is the list, right? This is it. So the power of presence, it's often overlooked, it's often undervalued, and that's to our own detriment. Because if we keep living life for what's around the corner, we'll look up one day and we never actually lived life. Value the gift of what's going on today. Value the people that are in front of you right now. Don't be pining for the past Don't be fixated on the future. Treat today like the gift that it is and steward it exceptionally well by generously pouring out your attention in the practice of presence. This topic means a lot to me, and that's why I hope that you take it seriously because it's one of those things that has truly changed the way that I think, act, and live over the course of probably the past year as I've been focusing on it. And... 
I would tell you it's one of those things that historically I've not been good at it, but when I started to taste what it could do for me, that's what gave me the motivation to keep with it and to really commit to trying to be a present person with other people and with myself and with God. And so I would just encourage you, if it's something you struggle with, do not give up. Keep moving forward. Remember, practice is not a linear path. It's not up and to the right all the time. It's going to be mistake-ridden, and that's okay. What matters is not your perfection. What matters is your rate of recovery. And what matters is the degree and level of your commitment. Are you committed to being a present leader, a present man or woman, and a present person? Y'all, I'm so grateful for you. If you want more content like this, we send out uh, an email every Wednesday called Worth It Wednesday uh, because I believe most email isn't worth it. In fact, a lot of times I've seen that email is the thing that keeps people from being present. So I get kind of frustrated with email. And so our team set out and said, okay, if we're going to have an email, we want it to be an email that's actually worth it. And so uh, every Wednesday we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking And man, uh, it's just so cool to see that community of people growing and thriving. And I get so pumped because y'all are taking the principles and the actions and the recommendations from those emails and you're putting them into action, which that just gets me so stoked. And then beyond that, so many of you have shared uh, this the videos from that and the email list from that on uh, social media. And I just can't thank you enough because that introduces people to what we're doing with regard to helping impact driven leaders practice healthy growth that I could never reach on my own. So I just want you to know that I'm so grateful for you. Uh, Y'all, you know this, we said this at the end of every episode, we're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.